Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. everybody to Nightlight. Thanks so much for spending your evening with us. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you have time, check out the uh, YouTube channel. That's uh, Barbara DeLong. And uh, check out the other shows that we've done. They are absolutely as fascinating as tonight's show is. And if you enjoy what you listen to, please be kind and subscribe to us. I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. You can discover him at NativeStorytellers.com. He and his wife are Native Storytellers, and they have amazing material on their website and uh, sort of a hint into how history and cosmology were preserved before the written word, and it's something everybody should experience. It's really quite fascinating and educational and enlightening and entertaining as well. Tonight's show, Mark has a fascinating guest, and I can't wait to to listen to the two of them. Um, so welcome, Mark, to the show. Hey, Barbara. How are you? Doing well. Very, doing very well, actually. I think winter is here. <laughs> I'm afraid you're right. Yeah. But, you know, we're heading to... The southern hemisphere, you know, like metaphorically speaking, tonight. So hopefully that will warm everyone up as we have our first uh, blast of winter. Um, oh, and also, also uh, want to remind the listeners we're working on rescheduling Graham Phillips from yesterday. He came down with a cold, and this wasn't a good time to do. Uh, an interview, but you know, we're going to get him uh, rescheduled. Uh, we have <clears throat> tonight's show, obviously, and Mary tomorrow night, 9, 10, 9 to 10, right? Right. Okay. So at least, at least you know, the listeners will get two out of the three shows this week. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you know, we have another guest making her debut uh, tonight and in introducing us to a fascinating and 
underreported topic, ancient canals of the Americas. Uh, Joan Conover is one of my colleagues at Ancient American Magazine. <clears throat> uh, Joan was a speaker at last month's AAPS conference. Um, Joan is an avid sailor on her 51-foot sailboat and is a satellite engineer and we're going to learn a whole lot more about her research over the next couple hours. So welcome, Joan. How are you? Oh, I am fine. I'm I'm really privileged to be able to talk on, on your program and, and share some of the um, research and really the, the interesting um, um, agricultural canals and systems that are found in the Americas. We we are going to get to all that and a whole lot more in a little bit. But you know, we we had you scheduled for like a month ago, five weeks ago. Uh, you, know, you were to be the uh, concluding guest for our was like trilogy to promote the. AAPS conference and uh, Blog Talk had a little tech issue that week, and so we unfortunately did not have you on prior to the conference. But uh, you know, you're on with us tonight. Uh, well, can I share Judy, something about the conference with you? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's what I was leading up, and yeah, Judy said, said how much. That she appreciated, you know, or the the publicity we did for this year's conference. So yeah, you were there. So yeah, you know, give us a little bit more background of what was going on for that weekend. Well, we had um, blocks of of speakers, and I was very impressed with the um, the variety and the and the research that had been done. There were some uh, very professional presentations. Um, one of the presenters um, had done uh, quite a bit of research on DNA, showing uh, where different uh, uh, groups of humans had moved through through the different parts of the world at certain times, which kind of highlighted a little bit on some of the work that I've been doing because we're always putting pieces of puzzles together. And I think that the mm-hmm. uh, conference was provided uh, some puzzle pieces, not all of them, but uh, – Wonderful uh, presentations. Uh, Jay Wakefield was there. We had um, um, just an amazing group of professionals that were all, um, you know, outlining their their theories. They shared their research. Um, It was it was just for me a first time, and it was just it was just it was stunning, just stunning. I know that uh, Judy has shared quite a bit with you all. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming she's probably spoken on the program, um, mm-hmm. but uh, the the um, some of the areas that we explored hadn't probably been explored before. And I know that there was a, a very good representation from people from California, people from uh, Louisiana, people from uh, northern part of the United States, from from Connecticut, from uh, Virginia from Florida. It was just uh, just a, a real um, excellent group of uh, 
researchers. It, really, we were researchers. Yeah, and you, know, you mentioned that you know there were uh, you know a lot of very professional uh, presentations. I'm sure you know Lawn had a lot of uh, you know power PowerPoint uh, yes. photos of his ancient garden beds. You know, he, he's uh, a very detailed uh, researcher. But you just brought up uh, information like in the presentations dealt with uh, some of the DNA, uh, you know, that can lead into uh, migrations. You know, we had a, a big, um, like, two or three part series about a month ago with. Uh, uh, Andrew uh, Collins and Greg Little talking about the Denisovans um, and their their migrations around the world. You, you know, that's actually becoming a pretty big uh, uh, topic now. And it, you know, one of the points I wanted to make is you know w- w- with research uh, like the high tech research that's being presented. At conferences like AAPS, uh, you get people like Rick Osman uh, focusing on, uh, you know, like the Wabash River Valley, uh, with some of the ancient uh, peoples, uh, how they were utilizing the valley. Um, it, 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 it sounds like a, a uh, AAPS and similar conferences are moving o- away from you know, the the, the j- just like unsubstantiated claims to places that you can actually visit. And you know, after you're done, like go go home, get you know, do do your uh, like Google Earth calculations, and you know, it, it, it's more fact based instead of theory. Based. Yeah. Are, are you seeing th- that kind of trend emerging from these conferences? I'm seeing um, more um, more scientific writing, uh, more research and better presentations. Um, Lon was wonderful with his gardens that they, you know, the um, uh, gardens that were prehistory gardens, pre-Columbus gardens, uh, the growing beds that were up in the Michigan areas where he, he has mm-hmm. been mapping them out and finding, looking at how they, they crop their land and whatnot. And, and then you had Rick showing uh, the transportation networks um, that came down the Mississippi, even finding um, a, a boat and talking about how those boats could have portaged. Um, we all have the, um, we know that there was a copper trade from Michigan. There was, there's 500,000 tons of missing copper from Michigan. Um, no one knows where it went to. No one knows how it got to where it went to. But to, to actually 
support. It took food. Well, there's your gardens. It took a transportation network. There's Rick with uh, portaging with these boats, proving that the um, these wooden boats that they could cart over land could carry things. You have uh, evidence of some very unusual artifacts um, that tie um, maybe the Caribbean area uh, up into the Michigan area. Uh, all of that was, was discussed during this conference, and we could sit down and talk with each other and kind of share some of the research we haven't written about yet or we're just looking at, but we don't know that it's um, that something to write about. It's You know, you're working on the validity because you don't want to um, – you don't want to put something out in writing unless you can really prove it. That's that's my theory. And mm -hmm. what I hope all of us do, and I think we do. So to sit down with these different areas, I mean, the gardens that were up in Michigan that were the prehistory, the raised bed gardens, well, there's a bunch of raised bed gardens that are uh, amazing down in South America, and they're 12,000 foot in the air. Um, the transportation networks, there's canals down in the lower Mississippi Delta, and I talked about those, um, that looked like major trade center canals. Those are very difficult to determine if when they were made, if they were repurposed, if they were um, made by uh, in modern times, which is after Columbus, if it was made before Columbus, because of all of the mining and the, the oil companies and the Everything that's been done down in the uh, Louisiana areas and the, the delta of the Mississippi, which has uh, been pretty darn destructive, but we've been able to map out some pieces that show, yep, there probably was some sort of trade network docks, pretty good-sized docks, two or 300-foot-wide docks. There was, were salt domes. There were uh, mm -hmm. uh, mounds with... Um, um, Pottery. They made pottery. They didn't make anything else but pottery in those mounds, right next to the salt domes, which is very important for trade because that's that's that, those were the plastic bags of that era, uh, or that those thousands of years. That was pottery. Those were plastic bags. Right. That's how you carried stuff. So all these little pieces, you kind of put them together, and you're sitting there and talking to the other folks, and you're saying, well, my piece goes here. And eventually, uh, more of the pieces of the puzzle come together. And eventually, maybe researchers and universities pick up more of the pieces. Um, although we're using a lot of research from the universities when we go find it um, and find, hey, you know, they already talked about that. They already knew that, but somebody put it away and forgot about it. So there's a lot of pieces that we, all of us, are trying to put together. And I really like this conference. This was uh, a real opportunity. And I'm, it'll be posted on, I'm sure, the uh, AAPS site, some of the briefings, and um, share, uh, sh be shared with the public. And, it, it, you know, when I uh, was uh, talking with uh, Judy earlier today, you know, I told her, uh, okay, we've got Joan, Joan coming on tonight, and, she, you know, she's all excited, and, you know, and, you know they already have... October second, third, and fourth booked for 2020 at the Harris Island Casino in uh, Michigan. So uh, I know it's 11 months away, but there, you know, Judy's already working on you know, next year's <laughs> conference. So 
I just it, it's it, it sounds like with you know, the attendance uh, increasing again this year that you know that this is going to be a, a annual fall event. So um, you know, just put that on your calendars for next year. And, and, and Joan, you just mentioned that. Um, you know, you, you know, you're getting a lot of your in, information from uh, you know, university publications and you know what their anthropology and archaeology uh, teams are um, discovering. Uh, um, but you know, when we uh, get into looking at you know what you're researching. You know, you're also using satellite I imagery. Um, so, you know, let's look at that. As uh, you know, just introduce the listeners to uh, where you're getting your information, what the satellite images reveal and you know we'll keep you know, building on the information you provide us so uh you know uh, what well, you know, what are you finding well um my profession for for years was working with either terrain or satellite imagery or processing uh computer processing for um understanding terrain the physics behind terrain um for modeling and simulation, that kind of thing. And you really have to, I mean, you have to know what that terrain is pixel by pixel when you're doing something like that. Now, I started, um, the research that I'm doing right now started, oh, I'd say about 15 years ago, but I really started writing um, probably about 10 years ago because it took me years to read and research to the point where I felt that I had something to say. Um, I got drug in it kind of backwards because I started with um, old maps, loved old maps. Um, and I started looking, uh, reading Hapgood's work on uh, um, maps of the Sea Kings, um, Cremo's work, um, some uh, other, many other researches from, from different universities talking about these old maps and stuff. And I bumped into maps like the Perry Reese map, and I bumped into Kirshner's and Hap and Happel's. Um, I found a, an old map that was miscatalogued in, in NOAA that was from 1630. And it was for Gulf Stream Currents. I'm a sailor. I was interested in Gulf Stream Currents. I don't, I don't remember exactly how I looked at that particular map. But looking at it, I suddenly realized there was something wrong with that map because it was almost perfect. Perfect lat long had... Uh, the ice sheets in North America were there. Um, the South America was perfect. North America was perfect. Um, but it didn't have currents, Gulf Stream currents. But it sure looked like it might have some sort of trading route. So I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, these routes that are circular in these different oceans. And it showed the world. So I went and looked at one spot, and that was in Mississippi Delta. And I found canals there in the satellite imagery because I couldn't figure out how else to look at something 
So you go look at your imagery and you go back through the history of the imagery and you can pull stuff. You can find um, LIDAR, which is kind of a, a flyover that uh, radar that processes the uh, terrain so that you can see details and it kind of removes the um, vegetation so you can see the lumps and everything. I'm sure that people mm -hmm. have heard about the, the finds down in the uh, Central America, the, the Mayan ruins and stuff that are just, I mean, everyone's finding something down there. I mean, lost cities and everything else in Central America from the Mayan civilization. And they are finding those with LIDAR. Um, there's wonderful LIDAR of the uh, southern part of the United States, which is free to look at. So I looked at some of that stuff, and I found these canals, but I couldn't determine if they were new or old. I mean, um, it took a lot more research and a lot of reading of some um, theses in some of the universities to come up and define what, which was what kind of thing that I was looking at. So I thought, well, that's a little bit hard. So then I went down to South America, and it was in South America that I found these tremendous um, canals, circular canals, some of them um, fantastic circular canals, 15, 12 to 15,000 foot in the air where you're not supposed to be able to grow anything in a totally mm -hmm. deserted area. And um, a disaster, really is a disaster zone. But So I find these wonderful canals. That some of them are as big a diameter as the Great Pyramid is tall. These are huge canals. There's about 8, eight 10 or 15 of them. Um, all around um, the Altiplano, Lake Titicaca in Peru. So I thought, well, that's really interesting. And I started looking around to see if anybody found anything about that. Nope, no sign of that. I thought, well, that's kind of that's really interesting. So then I went and talked with uh, Jay Wakefield, who said, well, yep, there's there's a prehistory stuff here. And he sent me all his books, and I read his Rocks and Rows, and I read about uh, the copper trade, and I thought, well. That's a civilization. Maybe that had something to do with the Mississippi Delta, but I didn't know what it had to do with South America. So I thought, well, maybe I'll look at the place where there was another place in the Ameri in South America where um, these currents went to, and there I found another transportation network. So that kind of made me start really researching. So I've been I've been mapping South America, the canals, been mapping in um, the Mississippi Delta, the canals, and I've been writing and publishing in um, Ancient America uh, several of the several articles on the Perry Reese map and on the um, uh, findings of the canals, both in South America and North America. And I've been working with uh, um, research done by Raphael Eisman, who's done some wonderful work down there in, in uh, Chile. Um, where he has um, actually been going up into the mountains and going up into by the volcano where he's found some um, just probably megalithic uh, places that haven't been explored yet. He's gone down the Amazon. Um, and then you have um, uh, Brian Forrester, who's done wonderful, wonderful presentations on YouTube um, of his trips to look at the different areas and the damage or the, the megalithic buildings, the civilization that was there, um, and mm -hmm. trying to get people's attention, to pay attention, to take a look at what is there. And 
it's it's just a mystery, and that's wonderful stuff to write about. It's just um, it's amazing. There are about over 250,000 acres of identified raised growing beds in just the Alto Plano of Peru alone. That's on the west side of South America. Um, and the the man-hour labor to build these things, unbelievable. And just 258,000 acres is just a drop in the bucket because every single mountain down there looks like it may have a foundation on it. It's just been burned off. So it's a very interesting place to look at. Um, it hasn't been touched. It hasn't been explored that much. Um, Brian, uh, bless bless him for uh, going there and struggling as, as he's been doing to get the story out from there, and Raphael the same way. Um, they have d- just done excellent, excellent work down there. Um, yeah, Joan, yeah, I, I just want to say that... Um, <clears throat> Uh, uh, a lot of the areas that you're talking about where these canals are located is not in in the river valley next to the Amazon River. We're talking like really high elevations. Uh, That makes it even more... uh, of the Unusual. captivating subject, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, and you did mention something about uh, you know the agricultural practices at uh, such a high altitude uh, that deserves some you know, insight. Uh, what? What is going well, on with the high altitude agricultural? What what they did with these raised beds? They had raised beds, much like lawns beds up in Michigan, but they ran water in amongst these beds, and they were they were not tremendously deep, but they were deep enough to allow um, uh, evaporation of the water into the air. They actually made it like a uh, a giant, almost like a a greenhouse, and it could modify these what they call camelones or soliculas, uh, these raised growing beds. They raised plants in the raised dirt part of the bed. They had water in between, and they raised fish, small fish in the water, and mm-hmm. they would grow two or, could do, grow two or three crops through the most horrendous growing conditions uh, that high in the altitude. Um, they terraced the sides of the mountains. Um, and the terracing is not just simply put in these bricks and stones and stuff. They are actually designed, and we just now, modern um, agriculture understands how to build a terrace that is similar to the way that these prehistory terraces were built because they were built with a perfect angle to catch the sun and to grow plants as you went up this mountain. And they collected water. They brought the water down. They stored water in these huge aquifers, uh, same way that the Mayans did. The Mayans used aquifers to store their water, this uh, civilization or this group of people, and there were millions of them. There had to be from the amount of raised beds that they had. Um, they were able to store water and pump water up. 
pull water from the mountains. They had big uh, canals leading from the Andes down into the uh, lake areas. And it was a very uh, wet, marshy environment. And that would have been uh, approximately about 12,000 years ago. Um, there were two episodes of uh, these agricultural efforts. One was when there was a lot of water and they had large circular water management systems, these huge, huge circular, looks like almost uh, a constellation of these circles. And that could be, it's possible, it could be a, um, um, they, they made these geoglyphs, it's called, uh, geoglyphs are the raised beds, but they made them in images. And you could see, you can see horses, you can see people, you can see, you're looking down these giant people that you can only see from the sky, um, animals, uh, scripts. Um, we don't know what the scripts are. We know what the animals are. We can tell what they are. We can tell the people are kneeling and praying and their hands are up and they have elongated heads. Um, and you see that in the canals. They built the canals that way. Um, beautiful, beautiful images. Um, absolutely fantastic. They had a lot of water. And then something happened. There was a tremendous flood. Um, there was a covering of about nine meters of red clay over all of this stuff. And their aquifers were destroyed, it looks like, by earthquakes or something. But however they managed their water, that system got destroyed, so they designed a new one. So that's on top of the old one. But you can find layers of these old systems underneath the newer systems, which are still maybe 12, 14,000 years, 14, years ago that they were built. And you have to think, how long did it take someone to learn how to do that? So if you back it out to say it happened, you know, it's very, very old. Well, it took a long time for them to figure out how to do that. And there were a lot of people there. The, there's an interesting book that was written by the USDA in the 1800s. They went to um, Japan and China. And only bean counters in the USDA would do this. They wrote a book about how many people you can feed with the Chinese canals and the Japanese canals, which were very sophisticated and very manpower intensive, but it fed a huge population with raised growing beds and canals. And they were able to count how many thousand people could be fed over how many square feet of land. And by taking that and just uh, kind of templating it for the raised growing beds seen in the Alto Plano, and then looking at the number of crops they possibly could have gotten from this in enhanced agriculture. And oh, by the way, they developed some amazing crops to raise that high. Quinoa is a perfect human food. If you just ate quinoa, you would be perfectly fed, which is unusual because that is really pigweed. If you brought that plant back down to a lower level of the sea level, well, it will breed with pigweed and becomes pigweed. Amaranth, the same thing. Amaranth that they grow at the higher altitudes, you bring it to a lower altitude and it crosses over with um, other weeds, what we call weeds here at the lower altitudes, and the, the qualities are lost. So somebody engineered something, I believe, with some of these plants that they grew at these high altitudes. Quinoa only grows at high altitudes. The amaranth, only grew only grows at that high altitude. It grows down below, yeah, but not like it grows and provides food at that high altitude. 
potatoes, same thing. Tomatoes, the same thing. Um, so there was a lot of agriculture. There was a tremendous amount of engineering to put all the, the everything together. Um, and there, it was it was just a a beautiful, beautiful environment. Um, and that was destroyed very violently, I believe. At least the evidence is there. But we have in the Altiplano, you have from uh, Colombia at the north, you have all of these ancient raised beds. You can see evidence of them. You have megalithic systems there, too. You have all along the western side of South America, Chile, all the way down to Argentina, you have these remnants of these canal systems or and it could be um, foundations. It's hard to tell because they're they're very they're very old, but they're square. They're over everything. They're terraced over everything. There were there were an un, a, amazing high number of people. Millions could have lived there and been fed with the way they had their agriculture set up. Which leads it, back it, to an interesting question. Um, where was the, um, if you had this amount of people, where did they get fed from if they had if they ate meat or salt? They needed salt for production and stuff. Did we have a big civilization that covered some of the Americas? And then you find on the east coast of Bra in Brazil and the Amazon rainforest, you find the evidence of um, canals there and in Suriname. And this is in the Nani Swamp, the part of the Amazon. Um, you find long zigzag, and they're five miles one way with a well, like a, a 15 to 45 to 15 degree angle, five miles the other way, up and down 200, 200 feet wide. Absolutely flat. They flattened the current in the river so that they could put, I believe, um, a traffic of some sort, maybe maybe those flat rafts could carry things up and down, up and down through this area, and it it's cut off the current of the Amazon. So you had something going on on the east coast of uh, South America. You had something going on in Rio de Janeiro because there are some interesting water collection raised growing beds down there that are still working underneath the existing farming areas. And all of this is, you know, is just pointing out that that there was something significant in the Americas, that it wasn't just a few people living um, as hunter-gatherers when Columbus arrived, which is the story we're all told. And I, I, I'm ju just kind of thinking out loud, but is there <clears throat> any kind of connection between uh Lon Krieger's Michigan raised uh you know, vegetable beds or you know garden beds and the 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 ones in South America you know is there similar plants similar designs to the garden I, it's like I was trying trying to establish you know it was there you know could the these canals yeah uh trace you know, be, well, the, you the know, canals show some kind of trade network going on between well, I North. Think there, uh, I think there was a trade network. Um, I think we had a series of trade networks. 
I think we've had a series of disasters that damage trade networks. But when you look at the these absolutely unexplored, unknown canals that are up, I mean, um, there's been some research done in Bolivia in the Beni region uh, of those uh, canal areas where they tried to bring some back, and they found out it took too much work to bring them back. I mean, it just takes a lot of man hours to do those kind of canals and, you know, raise the bed up and take care of them and all that. It was just something that was was difficult to do. But they did research it and, and got figured out how it could be productive. Um, but then you had the Mayans, who also had a tremendous agricultural canal system. And then you had in Mexico, you had the Aztecs that had a tremendous canal system. They actually had floating gardens. And then you go up into Arizona and New Mexico, and you had um, the Anastasi up in that area that had migrated there. It looks like people migrated and different different things happened. They, you know, disasters happened. They migrated here. They migrated there. You probably had a group that migrated up the Mississippi or maybe from the eastern uh, U.S. from, well, it looks like it probably, it probably came from the northern part of Europe into uh, the northern U.S. Um, that brought their own ways of doing things. But these growing beds, these raised beds, while they don't have the same crops up in Michigan that they had in South America simply because of the altitude, um, at least in the Alta Plano, and I don't know what crops they would have raised in the Amazon areas, although I suspect probably um, some of the um, the tobacco and the, uh, some of the drug, the cocaine-type plants might have been a very popular um, thing just because of the religious uh, uh, beliefs of uh, the Americans. And I'm by saying Americans, I mean prehistory. Uh, mm-hmm. Americans, uh, because they use that in a lot of their um, um, uh, ceremonies and stuff. But the corn came later, I believe, than some of this stuff. And corn, squash, beans, those were the uh, foods of the Mayans, the, uh, in the Aztecs. The Anastasi raised those. They had wonderful growing beds and canals. And then um, the in the central United States, I think, with the mound builders, it was a tremendous agricultural system there, although people haven't really talked about that much um, as how they knew they, they must have done something. It's just they don't know where or how they did it. It's a great uh, shame that um, people don't take a deeper look at some of the satellite imagery and go find things that resemble, because you can find a lot of similarities in some of the um, canal techniques in, say, um, South America that you can find in some pieces of other places in the Americas to the north. And when Barbara gets the YouTube archives up uh, tomorrow, uh, a few samples... Mm-hmm. Of the aerial photography will be on, you know, will rotate on the uh, archive. Uh, but it's, you know, the the uh, samples that you sent to us uh, do 
look almost like uh, some of the crop circle uh, patterns. They do. They look exactly like the crop circle patterns, but they are actually water management canals. And Mm -hmm. um, they're beautiful. I mean, you have concentric circles, again, as big as uh, the height of the Great Pyramid. One of the circles, there's joint circles. There's these huge grape, and they grew crops and had water running in it. Why they did that, I mean, it would have been much easier not to make great, big, beautiful pictures. I mean, just to do that, they had to, the land there is karsk. It's like, um, uh, you know, it's lake bed. It's limestone. And so they built on top of that, they built and made made dirt and built up the sides of this dirt and made planting areas. I mean, it's a genius. They made what's um, uh, called black earth uh, uh, there that's kind of a bacteria that is in the soil that, that makes it super fertile. They made that. Um, how did they know to do that? And these beautiful circles, I mean, absolutely, like flowers, like, you know, patterns. There's woven, like, leaves on the ground. I mean, but these are huge. I mean, they're not – they're, they're – um, hundreds and hundreds of feet wide, six, seven hundred foot wide, and going for miles and miles and miles across the this old lake bed. And this lake bed, um, it used to be a beautiful marsh area. I think most of the Altiplano was at one time. It was a sea that raised up slowly through the generations, and it was still salt, still salt briny now. Um, but something caused it to collapse on one end, and it actually dropped about a thousand foot, and that just all that flooding destroyed or covered up a lot of the uh, agricultural areas and just it just cracked the aquifers they were using for for uh, uh, water storage. I mean, it was it's just a real lesson learned for anyone who looks at a single point of failure for um, a civilization. If you depend on your aquifers and your aquifers get broken and you don't have water, and you use that water for your crops and to change the environment and everything, um, you're gone, and that happened to them. Uh, it was a very traumatic time. It must have been a tremendous upheaval to cause that kind of uh, damage and to look like 9.0 earthquakes to shake up everything it, like that. It, Pretty bad. Okay. Yeah, and Okay, before we get into... Uh, some type of cataclysmic event. Uh, you know, Lawn has his uh, Michigan garden beds. What, uh, maybe three, four thousand years ago, right. uh, and you know, cu- coming closer to you know, m- modern times. Um, you know, do we have a uh, some type of date for when the South American uh, canals and all all these terrace gardens were built. I think we can say about when they were destroyed. Okay. Um, and that would have been probably at the end of the uh, Pleistocene during the Quaternary uh, extinction. Um, because we know that there were um, underneath this red flooded clay, which is about the time that this happened, that it knocked down, um, that there's 
you know, there's destroyed buildings down there, these huge blocks of buildings that are just thrown like like somebody's toys and then covered up with this red clay. Um, Brian Forrester has kindly offered uh, some of his uh, images, and they it's just, uh, it's, you just look at this, and there's, there's, um, there's a mixture of, of human remains and, and stuff underneath some of that clay. They found um, bodies in some of the in some of the areas where they were taking the um, you know you know restoring the the buildings. They would find these I guess the priests for the uh, some of the temples at Pumapunko and stuff that they actually found some bodies there, which was you know evidence. But I don't know that anyone's ever looked at the the ages of the remains underneath the red clay. So we know about we probably know about when this flooded, um, but we don't know when it started. Okay, and so I think it, it was what prior to uh, the end of the Pleistocene period was like twelve, thirteen thousand years ago at the yeah. end of the ice age. So it, you know, they were the terraces and canals were built prior. I think prior, um, again, this is, you know, you're, you're kind of going out on a limb, a big limb on this, because you can look at the Ice Age cores. David Lappy did some wonderful work on that um, and tell when there was a lot of moisture. You can tell when, um, from some of the old maps, the Perry Reese map, you can tell from that map that eh, there was, it said and Hapgood thought that it shows South America without um, ice on it. That would have been mapped then, maybe eight thousand years ago. Um, okay. So I mean, we're talking back there in time. Mm-hmm. The Perry Reese map shows uh, canals in eastern um, Brazil that were misinterpreted, I think, as as the Andes Mountains. They aren't. You can go in there and you can find the canals right where it says where the uh, Perry Reese thought it, where everyone thought it was supposed to be the Andes. Um, but the, the timing of when this started, I don't know. I think it can, you can pretty well tell when it, when it ended. And no one knows who these people were. I think that the, um, well, the Spaniards didn't find anybody up there. I mean, they found some, they, the Incas were there. The Incas, I think, picked up what was already there. Um, because certainly the amount of um, terraces on these mountains and stuff the number of people to build those terraces that high up, all over and in in, from Colombia all the way down to, like one researcher said, there was a lot of people over a really long time. Just a lot of people over a really long time. And we didn't find, you don't find, you found the uh, Inca civilizations, you found the Nazca, you found the Paracas, um, you found a lot of different warring groups that were, you know, um, not maybe um, at the civilization level that uh, the Spaniards were when they showed up. Of course, they had horses and guns. But um, the people that build this stuff, I don't think, were the same. as The Incas didn't build with great big stones. They built with smaller stones. And so the remnants that we see, no one else, I've never seen anybody build anything like these canals. 
anywhere since those canals were abandoned. Okay, so, okay, so we have a date uh, when this uh, civilization uh, received a uh, striking blow. What what was the cause of this catastrophe? You know, they've been doing a lot of research on, uh, they found that there's now this, uh, well, they know that in North America that the uh, end of the Ice Age was rather catastrophic. Um, they don't talk much about South American catastrophic events that caused the damage down there. Um, but I think that it probably was something similar, something similar, something solar. Um, there was a the big, uh, they found the big meteor strike up in Iceland, um, which is significantly large. They found, uh, you know, the, that the ice sheets melted very suddenly. It was big flooding. I think a similar thing might have happened down in South America. There are some yeah, in, interesting Indian, um, I won't say Indian, am, uh, Carib uh, um, stories about, they call it a snake dance, but when you draw out what they call a snake, it certainly looks more like two comets running around because you don't ever have a red-headed spiky snake with a little tiny skinny tail anywhere in South America. Um, but that's another story. Uh, but the stories of um, there's pottery showing what looks like a solar flare. Um, you know, they have uh, images of people kneeling, looking to the skies and crying out. Uh, you have the little uh, effigies, the little jade effigies. You find those in Mexico and stuff. But you also find the effigies in the ground, those geoglyphs in the canals, the images of people with their hands out in supplication looking to the sky. So I think something happened from the sky. Um, I think uh, solar flare, uh, meteor strike, uh, you know, aster, who knows? But something bad, really bad happened up in the Alta Plano and, and in, in northern, uh, the North America areas um, at the end of the Ice Age. Okay. Uh, you know, Barbara, doesn't that sound like Andrew's information about the Younger Dryas uh, period yep. from uh, you know, his yeah. Denisovan mm-hmm. origin? Yeah. You know. That's uh, yeah. and and you know he was on ancient aliens, you know, giving a uh, a demonstration of you know, there's that one layer that you find all around the world where it's like this a- ashy layer. Yeah, you can, there's a. Um, it's the same for the extinction event for the for the dinosaurs where the chick lube uh, meteor, the crater in Mexico, it put those little um, micro um, um, beads uh, around the world of that one black that black mat layer. But that was like I think 65 million years ago. But the the younger Dryas has something similar to that. I just don't know that. Um, I know that the, uh, the Topper site and some work that was done that 
uh, by uh, Mr. Uh, Firestone, but that was, you know, he was kind of really, um, that really damaged his career. That wasn't, he didn't follow the party line, I guess. But now people are beginning to think maybe something really did happen that way and that there was um, a, the cause of the younger Dryas was some sort of meteor strike or something that left a, you know, uh, a haze or something uh, around the world that shows up in that layer of dirt. Yeah, it, it, and that was uh, interesting to read about that. Um, uh, all those nano diamonds that uh, yep. you just mentioned uh, that, yep. uh, found all around the world in you know, that black. Uh, Black matte layer, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. The stratigraphy found all, all around the world, and get all these like little pieces of diamonds in. Uh, that just is something really fascinating. You know, just uh, you know, to have been a person to uh, live through that. Would have j- just been uh, horrifying, and and I I think uh, Andrew uh, was talking about uh, you know, like the post traumatic stress disorder that people would have uh, had from that. Experience. Yeah, I think they still have it. Yeah, I, you know. But um, the um, the damage was. Um, particularly interesting in some areas uh, of South America because, um, you know, when you're researching stuff, you go back and you read everything. Well, you go and read Darwin's Voyage of the Beagle because he's mm-hmm. the first one who went around South America. You read what he talks about of finding these um, large skulls in the um, tuff, which that's uh, kind of like a limestone uh residue of lifted land or something but it but it's it's not really really old but it's not you know it's not like yesterday um finding these skulls um and people in in the remnants uh, underneath soil he found uh bones of uh humans mixed up with uh, mega fauna the large animals mixed up underneath the the uh some of the areas in the pampas underneath the red clay, and then um, had some very other, really other good comments from his journals. But I don't know how um, then it was considered scientific. Now that isn't considered his writing, and the way he reported wouldn't be considered scientific because we don't have, you know, DNA samples. We don't have um, the metrics and all that. He wrote about what he saw and they want photographs, they want it measured, they want the site uh, dissected and everything. And he didn't actually do that, but he had a very interesting few comments if you looked at, at what he talked about um, that he saw in uh, the land where it's raised up in some places um, from either earthquakes or from tsunamis, from floods. So on both sides of South America, he made some very interesting discoveries as you read that. Um, and then you continue reading on um, other dis- discoverers or explorers and journals and everything else. You, you start building a story that you write on. And so that's kind of where 
I'm at right now. I'm looking at the agricultural pieces of it, looking at how many people could have fed this kind of agriculture, both there in South America and even up in the Michigan area, because that same kind of agriculture would have changed the environment if they had enough of it. Um, with raised water and the beds and stuff, it would change, would keep the warm, the climate 10 degrees or 5 degrees warmer, or could. So um, it's just a, it's just fascinating to look at this stuff, read about the history of things, go look at what the satellite imagery of the ground actually shows you, and see if there is um, a relationship for all the other pieces that other people are finding. Um, it's just kind of it's a it's a puzzle, it's a puzzle piece putting together, and it's kind of it's fun. And, and Raphael Iceman, yeah. I, Iceman uh, has ri- ri- written se- several articles uh, pertaining to this uh, cataclysmic event, and he you know, he. he uh, d- does talk about th- there there were some like atom type uh, people in the Aztec uh, mythology, yeah, you know, pro- probably yes. more Noah like with uh, like the one guy that survives on a ship and arrives like. It, it it sounds just like you know the Middle Eastern uh, uh, Noah, and you get this basically the there same story. There are many story. similar stories, many yeah, many all, similar all around stories. the world. Yeah, yeah. and it, you know, on your uh, research and you know reading all these journals, are you finding that it's not just the Old Testament? Uh, a biblical account of the flood is, and that's not just the, the only one. You know, we have it in Native uh, American traditions and uh, South American mythology. South American uh, uh, Inca tradition. Uh, in, in, you know, Incas, you know. You, you know, you go back to almost any any culture that has. Um, Usually it's oral history, and that's another problem, that oral history isn't recognized as being scientific. But if you don't have paper to write on, you can chip on stones, but that's not really very rapid. So the oral uh, histories are extremely important in um, in, these, in, a, in a lot of these uh, ancient civilizations. Uh, the Incas, the... Uh, the Hindu, the Chinese, the well, the Chinese were writing, um, but before that they had the oral histories. You had uh, the um, uh, North American peoples. You have almost every single civilization has a story of a flood, a Noah-type figure, uh, people hiding in caves or um, in boats, um, and ending up on a mountain somewhere, and mm-hmm. um, being told ahead of time there was going to be something bad happening, you know, and uh, to be prepared. 
it's it's just not it's it's you know it's a universal story it isn't just a um biblical story it's 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 everywhere yeah, and yeah, you get the legend that Noah's ark came to rest on Mount Ararat and and in you know, your friend Raphael's writings, you know, he's you know talking about you know after this cataclysm cataclysm in you know, South America, um, you get you know the guy showing up. Villahosa, yeah, no, he came on, with, on yeah, the boat it, on a boat near, near mountains too. Uh, it's just, and you it, have it, the story just, of of the um, West Coast uh, Indian uh, groups who came on ships and ended up on mountains from floods. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like uh, in um, especially in the Washington. Oregon areas. There's a, a lot of the um, the Amerindian groups there have those stories of, of you know their elders came in boats and landed on the mountains. You have this in South America. Now Raphael, he has the most uh, interesting site where uh, it's a mountain, but it's it um, um, but it's not one where I would think that a a Noah figure would have gone to, but they sure picked a spot that wasn't the world's best spot for building a patio and maybe a um, some sort of mound or pyramid because it's on the edge of a volcano that blew up. And so he's been up there with these bricks and rocks and stuff of these megalithic structures trying to piece together what happened there and prove, figure out how to prove on the side of a volcano um, what this was and uh, very very interesting site he's he's gone up there several times and i think this time he's taken up um taken up drones and stuff to look at it i don't know when he'll be oh. writing about that but all of that all of these different groups the um stories from the um from the inca of of their hero god that saved everybody and showed them how to do things and um came on a ship um uh, very smart person brought them out of uh, uh, out of the caves or saved them. Uh, many many stories like that are, are just everywhere around the world. Okay, and it sounds like that you know from in the several comments you made that uh, this was just a. Uh, Utter, utter devastation uh, to South America. Uh, do we have evidence of um, you know the few you know people who are left uh, migrating? In, in yeah, well, there is some migration it, evidence now. The Carib okay. Indians. Um, migrated uh, from the Amazon area. They went up um, up uh, through the windward leeward islands, and they may have become the Piano Indians that were found when Columbus arrived and 
you know, uh, Puerto Rico and San Salvador and whatnot. Um, the Caribs themselves were um, very a very interesting group. We were down in uh, Dominica, which is one of the islands uh, half almost to Venezuela. Um, between Venezuela and, say, um, Puerto Rico halfway, um, there's this island called Dominica, and they do have the um, what's left of um, a group of, of Caribbean Indians. There's actually a reservation there. And they do the same um, dances and serve the same drinks as the uh, Carib Indians did in ceremonies uh, documented in the in the Amazon areas back in the 1800s. So it's, that's very interesting. They found um, gold uh, fragments up in St. John's uh, in the Virgin Islands of uh, uh, that probably had to have come from from South from South America from someone who knew how to work gold because it was um, very very thin sheets, very tiny pieces, thin sheets, but a um, a special alloy. And it had a uh, was electroplated as well, and that's something they found in middens from prehistory or pre-Columbus middens from the from the Tiano Indian uh, areas of uh, St. John's Island. So that shows maybe a migration. Now it could have come from it's possible it came, they came from the opposite way, but the Caribs actually came from uh, the Amazon uh, areas to the north. Um, it, it, I would also think a natural migration path would be up um, the Panama, up through Mexico, up to the United States. And don't forget, we have evidence of these um, big rafts, and you know it's been proven those big old reed rafts can go many, many places across the ocean. The um, Gulf of Mexico, the uh, Caribbean Sea. That is a fairly, it's not easy to sail it unless you know the water and the waves, but the currents take you from South America, wrap you around uh, Mexico, and they take you straight up towards the Mississippi Delta, and then they take you out around uh, Florida, out past uh, the Bahamas, and then north to uh, Europe. And uh, it's two or three knots current not just a little bit of current, it's quite a bit of it. So there's a natural path, and I would think that that whole, the whole area from, I think that there was a lot of uh, sharing of communications and a lot of uh, migration that went either by sea or went by land, depending on what had happened uh, disaster-wise with either volcanoes or, um, you know, solar events or drought um, or flooding. Because people evidently survive somehow. Yeah, and you know what you're talking about is uh, very interesting. Uh, it, when when uh, we were doing a show a few months ago on <clears throat> the uh, uh, Book of Mormon. Uh, you know, we covered some of the um, information in the book that seems pretty accurate. Uh, 
discussing the uh, migrations of people from South America to North America and and eventually gets some of the um, copper plates that were found across America and the more uh, famous ones were the uh, ones found in in the Hill Kumara in uh, New York that kind of got the uh, uh, Mormon uh, faith going but what you're talking about just does seem like it's um, um, documented in uh, prophecies that were uh, later recorded in the Book of Mormon it's just interesting and, and you're just talking about the uh, Gulf Coast and uh, or, or the Gulf Stream. We well, the currents are there, and you know, you know we're, we're sailing them all the time. Uh, they're yeah, and, and, all over the place. And and, and, and we've had um, I don't know, a couple guests talk about um, you know, how do the Egyptian mummies have um, tobacco in, in their system? Yeah, yeah so. It, 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 it seems like there is something ha- happening, like this post-flood, that we do have proof for in, you know, just uh, like the mummies and you know these uh, uh, copper plates that have been uh, you know discovered in the last couple hundred years. Well, they, there are all little tiny pieces out there. There's, um, you know, um, they just found, um, well, it's about five five or ten years ago, I guess, um, a um, area in uh, South America near where some of these canals are, up in the Alpha Plano. They found um, the remnants of a building, and they found uh, indigo dye, and they found woven cotton, Egyptian cotton. But it was the dye was a better color of indigo dye, and the cotton was a better type of cotton than the best Egyptian cotton that they knew about. So how did you have something that was so um, was more advanced found in a 9,000-year-old building? In South America, how did that get there? It's just—it's like out of place, but it was fascinating, and it's—it's it's documented. It's just nobody talks about it. Um, it, 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 so, since we're talking about, uh, you know, this uh, ancient. Uh, you know, know, this flood from deep antiquity, the... um, Well, destructive. Something destroyed stuff. And the flood was involved with it. There's probably also a lot of fire involved in it. Um, 
Yeah, the, I, I was just really bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it, 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 yeah. The it just. Um, had to change the atmosphere that uh, really must have made it very difficult to even uh, uh, breathe. But but there was around this time, you have some researchers talking about uh, Yanaguni and the Sphinx was submerged for uh some time and that's why you have the uh water uh yeah, that's, uh, e- erosion Robert, Robert's work on the sphinx as far as the weathering of the sphinx for the age of the sphinx and the fact that it was weathered it was weathered with water which makes it hard for everyone to believe because they can't believe there was that much water in Egypt yeah evidently yeah, is this all all like the same time period? Do, do, I would do, think I, 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 that because of our because of our um, st- our oral histories, our stories, the Bible, uh, all of the his- written and oral histories that we see around the world all talk of the same issue. I don't know if it means we had it happen once. Did we have it happen several times? Is this something that's a cycle that repeats? Um, that's one of the reasons I think that looking at the damage and some, if we can find these places where it's been damaged and people haven't dug around in it and messed it up too much, where we can look and see what happened and figure out the dates and times, uh, it might be really smart to do that. Because if it's something that happens on a cycle, we'd better figure it out pretty quickly. Um, I think there's some interest in some of the governments now realizing that something happened. They're kind of wondering, looking around, uh, was it a planet? Was it an asteroid? Was it a sun flare, a solar flare? Uh, The earth wobbled. uh, The crust crunched up. You know, uh, they don't know why, and they're a little uncertain about it. There's been signs of some fairly significant tsunamis, on some coastlines, uh, what caused those. Um, Again, getting back to Darwin, he talks about the uh, explorers that he talked to who'd found these caves stuck uh, up, way up on these mountains with uh, human bodies, and in one of them were some large human bodies, and they found a whole bunch of uh, saber-toothed cats in the same cave. Now, were those humans and cats living there about the same time? Because those were the megafauna. They found, um, you know, flood evidence, 2,000, 3,000 foot in the air in some of the mountain areas uh, on the uh, eastern side of the Andes. Um, Just looking at um, just some of the damage areas um, and, say, the Alto Plano or even where uh, lava has come up and still left fields marked by the lava, um, and that was during the Pleistocene or the Ice Age or the Younger Dryas period, um, or the end of the Ice Age and the Younger Dryas period, when that those happened, because you can tell from the dates of when that when that lava was uh, liquid. So there's some dating you can do, but there was some pretty bad damage. There were floods. It may be cyclical. No one knows. Um, 
but again, I think it might be really smart to figure out what, what at least in a few places, if we can figure out what happened, because um, it could happen again. Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 I agree with you. It's a, uh, a good, good point, and yeah, uh, if we move, you know, much more forward in time from the cataclysm, you know, you do cover the uh, very mysterious uh, Perry Reese map in your article uh, in Ancient American Magazine in edition 119. Uh, this really seemed this map seems like it's uh, one of those out of place artifacts Um, the the drawings on this map seem very accurate for for the year uh, because that was uh, was 1513 and we believe that it was put together from um, other maps pieced together. They didn't understand about the um, um, long at that period of time. and But the information on many of us, Hapgood did an excellent article on, uh, wrote in his book on maps of the ancient sea kings, uh, how, they, how he thinks the Perry Race map was put together. And um, it shows South America, um, without ice, it shows um, pretty pretty good. Um, you can map South America ports and everything. Um, it does show that one area that they seem to think was the uh, Andes because there is no part. The map is torn off, so it only shows part of South America. So they said, well, it had to be the Andes because they couldn't figure out what else it was. But when you go look there, you find canals, you find... Um, Beautiful, beautiful. Um, it's almost like topographical water collection systems here um, in mm-hmm. that same area, um, and that's where those that long, uh, zigzaggy, hundred miles of five miles this way, five miles that way, five miles this way, um, with very sharp um, angles. I mean, it's two hundred foot wide. It comes and it just makes an absolute, you know. Uh, sharp, sharp turn to stop the water. I mean, there's there's a hundred miles of that, and it's been destroyed at either end. You can see where the um, was just ripped apart by something. But there's a hundred miles of that in that same area where the Perry Reese map is. Then, if you go and look at that same Perry Reese and you look at how it dep- depicts Africa, and I haven't done anything on that because I'm spending most of my time on the Americas. Um, it does show where, in the on the African part of it, it shows lakes and ports <coughs> that are um, known to have been there um, maybe five or six thousand years ago. It shows the Nile River running to the west or running from the west towards the um, uh, area of the, of the Nile River runs now, but there was a tributary that came 
across the Sahara towards the um, towards the Egypt area, and they've just discovered that not too long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, if not this year, that there actually was a tributary of river that was there at one time. So that map had that information on it. It has the uh, Laurentide ice sheet uh, that's over um, Alaska on the uh, North American continent. Um, how did they know that? This is 1513. It shows South America. They didn't discover South America until, I think, 1841. Or not South America, I mean um, Antarctica. And, and since they didn't discover that continent until 18, the 1800s. So how did they know about that in 1513? That was just when 1513, if you think about it, let's see, Columbus had just discovered America in mm -hmm. um, 1492. So we have 1513 that's not that many years, and all of a sudden you have this map that shows all this stuff. There's no way that they could have had that many ships go that far and map that much that accurately. So it's just a fascinating map, just an absolutely beautiful, fascinating map. Um, and there's a lot of them like that. I mean, there's there's maps that you look at and you wonder. Um, there's a missing map of Columbus. So everyone thinks that he probably had a map that showed uh, the New World, which he thought was, was India, but... That's why he happily went uh, the direction he did go and thought he had found it. Um, that's not been discovered, or maybe it's not just been misidentified, kind of like the map that I found that said Gulf Streams on it. That instead probably shows, um, that's Happel's map of uh, 1630, it probably shows trade routes because it doesn't show any currents in places that I would have thought they would have had Gulf Stream currents. So it's just interesting, these maps. Uh, but the Perry Reese, I think, is probably the, the, the most beautiful example of something put together from a bunch of different pieces that where they got the information from, I just don't know, but it's a beautiful map. Yeah, and you have in your article that the geosensing through today's ice sheets uh, corresponds with the um, the outline and the shore, shorelines of Antarctica from uh, you know the early 16th century when it was drawn yes and that was um, a lot of that was from um, from Hapgood's work, but then even even later work uh, to look at that shoreline and it map it maps beautifully to what is actually there, still under ice. So I I think we have to look back at history, and I think we have to. Um, research and read and keep looking because there's a lot of pieces that we just haven't found yet. Yeah, I, I, I'm familiar with, with uh, uh, Charles Hapgood's uh, book, The 
maps of the ancient sea kings. Um, I I haven't read. I'm just it, you know just have a uh, general idea of what it's about. Uh, but it's that that book seems like it's um, may have been originally seen at its publication as you know it's a little out there kind of uh, book. But what fifty sixty years later. Um, people are actually taking note of the uh, research presented in uh, Hapgood's book. Um, what what seems to you know, really be uh, attracting scholars to go back to his work? You know, Hapgood wrote um, more than just uh, the map of the sea kings. He also did uh, wrote a book, which I don't think it was well received, um, on the uh, path of the poles, where he talked about he had a theory of uh, crustal displacement and, and that kind of thing. Um, but the map of the sea kings, he actually is probably the what was put together in that book is probably the expert on all the the ancient maps that we have historical knowledge of. Um, a beautiful piece of work. I mean, he covered, uh, um, and his students covered uh, a tremendous uh, amount of volume or body of work um, in in that particular book, and it's um, I'm just going back here with uh, some of the um, illustrations that he had in the Perry uh, that he had from the Perry Reese map. Um, his source recognition of the um, the coastlines and stuff. I just don't think that um, this was. I think they had to have a uh, a fairly sophisticated mapping technique to be able to done the shorelines the way they were done in the Perry Reese map, and and that's what Hapgood talks about. Um, it there, and we don't know how they did it. We just don't know how they did it. Yeah, uh. And the other comment is uh, uh, notation on one of the maps. There's no trace of cultivate, uh, any sort of agriculture or cultivation in this country. Everything's desolate, and big snakes are there. Um, they describe the coastline, which um, of eastern uh, South America as being totally desolate, no agriculture, no nothing. Desolate, no people, nothing, big X. And yet you know there's there's ruins and there's remnants and everything there. So um, I don't know. I don't know who, I do not know where all the pieces came for that map, but I'm sure that it had something to do with some of the seafaring uh, groups 
maybe the Egyptians, probably some Egyptians, probably um, pre-Egyptian, probably our beaker traders, probably any of the seafarers um, that we have followed uh, or know, have history of or knowledge of from the past helped build that map from, for the fifth that 1513 map. There must have been some tremendous uh, information in those libraries that were burnt up in Alexandria and whatnot um, all those years ago. Yeah, I, 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 I was going to say that. Uh, it's that ancient technology that uh, it still uh, uh, amazes us today that you know we're just you know finding out about it, uh, but it, it it's yeah, just something that was lost and we're just rediscovering it and yeah you, 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 you just really have to marvel at how bright th these people were you know i i think that um humans are bright um as long as we're allowed to be bright but the um uh, i don't know that we've changed that much but we may have been learning uh from a younger age and been able to read and um, retain information rather than just have oral histories. I think that's been a big difference so that we could more easily share information. But um, people back, I mean, I'm looking at an agricultural system in the Alta Plana that we could not create today. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at maps that I don't know how they created those maps with what we think they had the ability to do back in those times. I just I do not know how they how they did it. I don't know how we would do it now if we didn't have some sort of satellite technology, GPS systems and whatnot. So how did they get that accuracy that long ago? And how come it looks like it uh it went from really really good uh mapping and technology from you know the uh from 1513 and it really went downhill pretty badly and they didn't know lats and long how latitudes and um uh, how to map the longitude and latitude how to map that until the 1800s in middle 1800s 1800s so we're talking um a map that was 300 years before anyone even knew how to map the terrain of the earth correctly. And even now, I don't know we do it right, but how did they do that? Yeah, uh, you know, your uh, friend J Jay Wakefield has really. Uh, Made a name for himself by positing some uh, theories about uh, ancient sailing and navigation. Uh, 
he he thinks that you know, some of the artifacts do uh, correspond with an understanding of the use of latitude and longitude to get from the old world to the the Americas. Uh, he has quite a few articles on that in Ancient American Magazine. Yes. Yeah, and and his uh, book, uh, Rocks and Rose. I'm I'm more familiar with uh, paddle boats. you know, can can you bring your expertise of actually sailing these waters and well explaining pretty, how how his theories actually uh, do help to explain that the naval ancient naval engineers could pull this off? I don't think there is any question that ancient ancient uh, engineers could pull it off because we've taken a sailboat um, with 350 gallons of fuel in it, and we've gone across the Atlantic, North Atlantic, to Europe on that boat um, with just about six people on it sometimes, sometimes not that, sometimes just our two kids um, and us. Um, and we've gone into the Med, and we've gone to the Cape Verdes, and we've gone from... Africa, Cape Verde, south, and gone to Antigua, and then down to Venezuela, and um, up, you know, we've gone all over the Caribbean. The Caribbean is just easy sailing, but there is no, once you start sailing the currents in the uh, Atlantic and the winds, they take you from point, they take you from west to east in the north part, and they take you from east to west in the southern part of the Atlantic. Uh, that's the way it works. Then you get to the equator, it works the other way. Um, and the currents go the same and encourage that circular flow in both. So you've got the North Atlantic and you've got the South Atlantic, and you've got a circular current flow in both of them. You've got a wind flow in both of them. And so y- you could put a a boat will end up um, in the North Sea. It will end up near Europe by just being in a current. And I think that Jay has looked at a lot of the diagrams and the uh, rock carvings uh, in Malta and in some of the other areas of uh, um, Europe and some of the megaliths or the monuments that are there and has been able to map out or at least make a relationship between that and how um, seafarers would uh, would tell a story to somebody else that was in their um, group. Now, I think that the um, ocean navigators at that point in time probably used stone, um, maybe metal, but probably stone. That would last better than anything else in a um, uh, saltwater environment, which is what you're in. Um, And they probably had little cheat sheets of stone, which is what Jay has found. He's found the stones that have uh, markers or their shapes with markers. There's big stones with markers, and they seem to be related to each other. So I think he's got a very interesting theory, and um, it maps out. You can you can see, you, I can understand what he's talking about. And we've sailed it. 
and we've ended up where we were supposed to end up. Um, and we started sailing back in the 1980s and 90s. We a GPS was new. That was really the new thing. Um, so you just, you know, you went out, you mapped yourself every day where you were going and uh, kind of figured out where you were. And uh, we have a sextant, and you used that and figured out where the sun was and stuff. And you were um, uh, able to get from point A to point B. It's not elegant. It's not easy. But you end up on the other side of the ocean eventually. So I think that's what Jay is seeing in some of these uh, figures and stuff, and and it seems to Mm -hmm. me to be very reasonable when I look at how he's laid this out. uh, It's a very reasonable theory. Um, I can understand it. I can see how it might work. And then I see patterns that he has seen in these, uh, um, like a zigzag pattern. I can kind of look at that and go, well, I wonder if that meant that zigzag canal there. Or you see something with a circle on it, you kind of wonder, well, I wonder if that meant there or um you know but we can't prove it. it's just it's a it's a theory um but i think it's as, as good as anything when you see what um he's uh theorizing um they did that for a reason they didn't do it just for fun chipping away at rock is not something you do just for the fun of it um they had that was a, a method of communication we've lost the dictionary we've lost the um, translation codes to map it to our stuff, but it meant something, and it, I think it's as logical as anything because I think the most important thing back then was trade, getting um, product from one place to another, and they they use sea routes. Yeah, it, well, you know, since we've been looking at the you know, facts that there were transatlantic and transpacific uh, crossings, you know, way back in time. And I think uh, Greg and Andrew made that uh, very uh, clear uh, just with the DNA testing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, Brian Forster has um, made a name for himself on Ancient Aliens, you know, and, and, you know as well as his tours and of uh, South American locations, uh, his uh, numerous books on um, the, the, the ancient peoples of uh south america but you know, he he's looked at these uh on ancient aliens on t v talking about uh these uh, elongated skulls um the paracas skulls it wasn't just uh the paracas uh that had in, the larger heads. Um, we find up in the Americas, um, uh, they talk about the large-headed uh, skulls that they have found. Um, they found in a mound in um, Vermilion Parish um, in the Mississippi Delta uh, next to uh, the Morgan Mound. Um, they found uh, 
skeletons with the with the elongated he- heads there. Um, they found an effigy that shows uh, a person with an elongated head that was buried in the Morgan Mound, um, and that was documented by Harvard. It wasn't the Paracas themselves had elongated heads, but I think there were other. They were sp- spread out more than just in the Paracas area. I do know that um, I talked about that one area where there was the indigo uh, dye and the um, cotton mm-hmm. fabric that was uh, Egyptian cotton was finer Egyptian cotton, and they found in Egypt um, they found a skull there that was an uh, enlarged skull, a lar- elongated skull, um, but. Um, they didn't talk much about it. I, they don't talk much about people when they find these elongated skulls. They found them in the, um, some of the mounds in up in the Mississippi and north, up into um, for the mound builders. Um, they occasionally will find the large person with a large skull in the Alta Plano in some of the canals. Um, they've carved into those canals or made pictures of. There's people, uh, uh, I think men or a, a representation of a human, but they have the elongated skull. Their hands are up to the sky praying, and they have the elongated skull. Um, it's a, a tr- And I think Brian has done absolutely beautiful work um, detailing and, and showing these skulls that are, I mean, this was a different type of person. This was not the kind of skull that we have. And something no one's talked about is how in the world did a woman deliver a baby with um, an elongated skull like that? Did they have, was there something special in that skull? Is the skull thinner than uh, our skulls are? Um, I, I have never heard that discussed by anyone, but I just can't figure out how if you had a a baby with a head like that, how it could be delivered by a normal human that we that we are now. Um, it would be almost impossible unless that yeah. skull was different. Yeah, uh, the, that was, you know, when you were uh, talking about, you know, is this a different person? I, I, that, that was where... Um, I was ho- ho- hoping you'd uh, go with the discussion. It, 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 it that, that's really interesting because you know when uh, you, know, ba- you know if we go back r- r- earlier into the show, you know, I mentioned the uh, you know, when we we're covering the Book of Mormon, uh, get some of this information that kind of sound like maybe the ancestors of the Adena were coming up from uh, South America and then in the H- Hopewell were right. Yeah, uh, sh- show up a, a little bit later in time and it, you know, you're talking about these different skull shapes um, and you know, di- different people are we talking about did, did people look different Prior to this cataclysmic event in South America, are we dealing like with almost like two different species of humans? 
Um, I don't know e- without doing DNA testing, although I think Brian has done it, uh, how you could tell if what the relationship was. We we just don't have enough information. But I I I wonder when you hear of um, Inca royal women had to have their babies by C-section. Why? You know, the head, you need to get the head out. Yeah. And you kind of wonder, um, you just wonder how a paracas head, an enlarged head, um, they couldn't have, I mean, how were they birthed? And that's not something that, um, that is kind of a showstopper um, for a continuation of a, of a, uh, a human line or genetics if you can't birth somebody. It's kind of like uh, O negative blood that we have, you know, RH negative blood. A woman can have maybe one baby from an RH positive person, but after that she doesn't have any, and that's kind of like also a, a stopping point um, for it's, it's not really um, something that uh, doesn't encourage a lot of kids in a family if you've got a, a woman with O negative blood and there's uh, the husband is has O positive or uh, RH positive blood. Um, so where did that come from? Kind of an interesting thing, like the Paracas skull. You could not have an enlarged skull with birth easily. So is it a different human? I don't know. Is the DNA different? I don't know. Um, but, you know, we just found the hobbits. Uh, they now found those little mm-hmm. miniature humans, the hobbits in, the, uh, was it Borneo or, or Java? Java. Um, where they thought they were just stories of that race, but actually it was a little tiny human. Uh, so that, is there a possibility that the Paracas are a different variant of human? Yes. Do we know that? No. But just looking at the skull alone, I would think you're going to have problems uh, with a Homo sapiens, as we know them, having uh, a baby with a skull like that. So, I don't know. Many types of humans, I guess it's possible. But we just don't have, yeah. the, we don't have the knowledge yet to say for sure. I, don't think the, I think the research is still being done. Yeah, um, I I I don't have explanations, and I don't know if there there were more different types of humans than um, previously thought. I don't I don't think evolution explains everything. We just there's just I think there's, throughout there's this show, there's a lot of things it, it, we don't know. There's yeah, a lot of yeah, things uh, we don't know. I, 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 I think that's one of the nice things about having you on is um, maybe we didn't get a lot of answers, and that's actually a good thing because we're talking about what we need to you know, research in the future. And you know you're, you've presented a lot of information that 
we uh, we just don't understand yet, uh, and a lot of it. Uh, some of these questions are clouded because of uh, trade, um, the migrations of people. The lack of ability um, to communicate or the back yeah. the lack of our ability to understand how they used to communicate, like the Ranku uh, writings mm-hmm. from Easter Island. Um, they may be all kinds there of ways go. to communicate. What if you had, what if those geoglyphs on the ground, which you can see from up above, maybe that was a way of communicating. Maybe um, we just don't understand what they were telling us. Mm-hmm. Carvings on rocks, like Jay is explaining with the rocks and rows and trying to describe that. That's a communications technique. We don't know the language. He's trying to defi- decipher that language. Um, the canals themselves up in the Altiplano, no one has really seen those, those big circular canals. I mean, it's just um, I had a, a, a friend from a, a research group say, where did you find those canals? And I said, well, they're there. She said, but nobody's seen them. They're there. And you can go find them. You can go see them. You can go to Google Earth and go look at near Lake Titicaca, and you can find these beautiful circular canals. You just got to know how to look for them. And they're all over. And the foundations are all over, and the, the terraces are all over. And it's uh, perfectly legit to go look because they're absolutely gorgeous. Well, I think that's one of the points that all of us will come away from. You know, your your uh, lecture tonight is you know, go go out and look for uh, this information. Try to connect the dots that you know you started us on as well as Jay and his Jay Wakefield and his navigational theories and all the other researchers that uh, you know Brian Forrester's uh, Paracas Skulls he brought up several of these uh, influential uh, researchers and all the you know, all, all the other or you know, colleagues in Ancient American Magazine, and you know, we, you know, we just, you know, we don't have all the answers. We just try to put our observations out there, and you know, and that's we need one thing Brian Forrester has done. Yeah, yeah, you know, we because need because Brian has so, done that. Yeah, and you know, we can just get next generation to you know well, I really would like someone to go look piece. at those canals yeah and look yeah. at those canals in the Alto Plano look at the designs um, fly lidar pull more of the dirt off because there's just there's tons of, of more designs underneath this the layer of this nine meters of this red soil that's flooded over the top of them uh, there's docks down there. There's dockyards uh, in the dry areas now, but there was water, and they had docks. They had uh, uh, 
just an amazing infrastructure, and it's just all just kind of it's there. It's under the dirt, uh, rocks, everything under the dirt. Um, but those canals are so beautiful, and how they did it, I don't know. Um, it, do, you know, we're we're down to like eight minutes mm-hmm. left. Uh, is the the uh, Perry uh, Reese map on display somewhere, or do 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 we know where it's curated? No, we don't. Um, I you know that I find I find a lot of maps. Uh, NOAA has uh, archives that you can you can actually go to Washington D.C. and go to some of the archives and the Smithsonian stuff and find maps. The Perry Reese map I don't know where it's at. That's a very good question. Uh, physically, where the maps done by Admiral the Admiral um, are, I would assume probably in maybe uh, Turkey, but I don't know. He was in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, right. That was a long time. I don't know. I, I, I was just, uh, I, that, you know, that's just another thing. <laughs> we uh, Piece of the puzzle that we need to find uh, over time. I, I mean, that, and that, that's what I you know, really enjoyed about tonight's show is you just got us thinking. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, we have like seven minutes or so. What is, is there any uh, thing, uh, upcoming event, um, publication, something you you would like to draw the listeners' attention to? Well, I think if you, um, there are a lot of interesting online, like um, academia. dot uh, org. dot u um, and research. dot edu. Yeah, uh, ResearchGate, where uh, researchers publish um, a lot of their um, key papers, and I collect um, anything on Andes mining because I think uh, the mining in- industry. Uh, you know, both in both Americas, but in the Andes, it's uh, extremely interesting to me. And any of the uh, research that they're doing on um, uh, pre-Inca uh, time frame, uh, it can be from mining, it can be from uh, pottery, it can be from Nazca lines, it can be whatever. I just uh, have that come to me as a... Um, from you know, you subscribe to what you want from these different research sites. That's a wonderful way to start getting information. You just got to be willing to read a lot. Um, and the um, I put some of my documents out there early before I I finalize something, and and I really have enjoyed using uh, Ancient American as a a venue because. Um, my background is not in archaeology. It's I'm a computer scientist with a and I've 
worked with satellite imagery and processing and identifying terrains and that kind of thing. I have a background in agriculture because I had a farm. And I have a, um, understand growing crops. I understand irrigation, uh, plants, uh, meristem tissue culture, that kind of thing. So when I see these irrigation systems and, and the agriculture, I know the requirements for doing the irrigation, the agriculture and whatnot, it's just it's, it's, uh, uh, it's something that I'm familiar with. That is an area that, that I, I have expertise in. So between the computer science um, research areas and the agriculture and sailing, because we, we do that, um, it's really allowed me to look uh, at these different um, prehistory sites with maybe a slightly different focus. Uh, 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 is objective the right word? I I I think you just presented um, a, a a balanced overview of th this subject. I I I thought it was terrific, and uh, e even if we didn't answer every question tonight. Um, people have something to think about and maybe they will be the next ones who make the next important discovery that connects one more dot. Well, I just hope that someone goes and looks and tries to think about why an entire mountain range would drop 1,000 foot and lakes would flood out of their boundaries and flood over populated areas. Um, mountains would rise up, what would cause all that in a time when humans were there? So uh, what caused that kind of catastrophe that, at the end of the last ice age, likely? Um, can we prove it last that? Probably not. But looking at all these pieces, looking at these canals, looking at the um, technologies, looking at the areas that you can see this, this, these remnants in, uh, it just points out that there's a lot more to um, to find out about these different peoples um, that may now n not be, you know, it's an extinct, maybe it's an extinct uh, civilization um, that was there. Uh, who knows? But the there is some evidence there still, and we should find it. We should look for it. We should figure out what happened because it could happen again. Yep, I I agree. And how about if uh, there's not a cataclysm in the next few months, we have you come back and talk about uh, this some more. Uh, this was a, a terrific show, and you know, you're, you know you're welcome to uh, re return. It, it was oh, fascinating. Thank you very much. And, I think uh, we Barbara, kind of you... covered a lot of areas. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we'll just have to do it again. Barbara, do you want to come in and wrap it up? I would be happy to. I want to <clears throat> thank everybody for sticking with us because the show has absolutely been fascinating. Please remember to tune in to us tomorrow night and um, and again next Monday and Tuesday. We look forward to it. We thank all of you for being with us. and. Have a great evening, and if you're listening in archive, thanks so much for checking up on the new stuff that's on the show every week. <laughs>